Welcome to this week's episode of Soccer Neophytes Podcast. We had deadline day drama for Diang, Dawson, and Dan James. The cream always rises to the top, but are they getting a little help? And as Chris always says, who you play matters. What's up, guys? Hey, Yo, what's going on, boys? Well, Chris, you we're both happy guys this week. Wolves got their first win. Uh, Manchester United with a with a massive win over Arsenal. Um, we'll get to that towards the end um, or towards the middle, I guess. Uh, Andrew still trying to discover his team, but this team that you're kind of uh, interested in, they keep, they keep winning. They keep not losing as well. So, so that's good. We were joking that we might have to find a a new neophyte because (laughs) Andrew may have given his heart away too soon. I I may have joined a a fan club based here in Arizona, uh, a local watch (laughs) party for a specific team. And uh, I may have given them my email address. So yeah, I, I might be getting notifications. So yeah, I'm I, I am not saying I've chosen a team, but you know it would be hilarious. I mean, we know where your heart's leading you, Andrew. But what if they won the league? It'd be amazing. And you wouldn't be allowed to pick them based on the rule set that Nate provided to you. Then it just means I won't be coming back next year, fellas. And uh, <laughs> it also means <laughs> I might have to uh, cancel a few Amazon orders before they uh, show up at my house. So, yeah, what if? <laughs> well, that's not the team you focused on. The team you actually focused on this week is the team that likely will win the league, and that is Manchester City. Uh, Andrew, tell us what, what were your impressions? You got to watch two matches, theoretically. I don't know how much of the midweek match you watched, but but two two matches for City this weekend. Special emphasis on the Villa one uh, over the weekend. But uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on City? I it was a, a tale of two teams. I think uh, this week um, I've watched quite a few uh, City uh, matches so far this season because they're just incredible to watch. I mean, it's hard for me to to fall in love with them the way I've fallen in love with uh, other teams, but. Uh, because they've won it before, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm, I don't, I, I tend to root for the underdog, but it's, I know I'm new to the EPL. It is hard for me to hate city. They are so remarkably talented. Holland's first three, he got another hat trick, his second in two games, 66 minutes, five days apart. Uh, <laughs> after Wednesday's matches, he had more goals than 14 of the other 19 teams um he touches the ball six times a game i think and three of the times they go in he is always in the right position how do you not just love this guy um but i also am impressed with the rest of the team they are so disciplined they they put the ball where it's supposed to be it seems like they're running a different set play every single every single time i De Bruyne's assist to Holland over the weekend. That little, I, I don't remember who had he the saved fun. it back in because the header that he saved back in that one, the one, the cross, there was like a little one, two. I don't remember who had the ball initially, but they were coming up the right hand side of the 18 yard box. 
uh, whoever was bringing it up passed it off to De Bruyne up the right, and he crossed it across, and Holland Holland scored it. I don't remember. Yeah. And, but I mean, just the other, the other one, I think uh, it wasn't his, I think it might've been his third one. There was a cross that was a header that was clearly not going to be able to be headed again into uh, the goal. So it was, it was like a header pass to Halan who then had headed it in and um, everybody on the team made the right decision in the moment. I'm again, it's very easy to just say, man, city is Halan. It is not. Everybody on the team is ridiculously talented. So, and they've been stacked for a while too. And we're seeing that with like Gabriel Jesus, who is now in Arsenal, and everyone's going crazy over his like amazing start. But he was just like another guy at Man City who like never really showed out. Well, like that 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 uh, tweet you sent us, Chris, with the funny cartoons. Yeah, like. the the kit sponsor for the arsenal kit was man city reserves (laughs) (laughs) so so funny yeah no man city andrew they're a machine i think yeah i think if you just are watching the sport purely for enjoyment they are so enjoyable and remarkable to watch once you support a team and you watch them, it's so frustrating. It's it still beautiful to watch, but yeah. they're just they're they're the Ivan Drago of the of the <laughs> Premier League because they're doing steroids. Created in a lab. <laughs> created in a lab. <laughs> they need, That's good. They need a little Rocky to to knock them out. But yeah, no, I'm sure I'll hate them after next week because they happen to be. Uh, do you know who they're playing this week? I I can't remember. Uh, Nate, who's City playing this upcoming week? This little team uh, in North London called Tottenham. Oh, yeah. Jerseys. They they are. So maybe I might hate uh, City after this week. Well, Mm. we'll see. But yeah, City City's remarkable. They've even though they drew with Villa. um, Yeah, that one didn't make sense to me. I, I don't. I don't know how that happened. It happens. That's that's what that's what's crazy about the the sport, right? Is seems like teams can pull off a, a good run of form. I think for for City as well, they probably should have won that match, but still got to put the put the ball in the net. So yeah. Well, before we got to the weekend, so we had some midweek matches, which we've already kind of referred to already. But then on Thursday, we had deadline day and it was, it was a deadline day for the ages. I was able to kind of track it at work. Um, and there was a couple storylines I want to talk about before I get into our teams. I, I, Tim sent us a message, Chris and I are going to give a little report on how we felt our team's uh, summers went, but there were three, three things that happened that I just thought were stories that needed to be told. So uh, probably the biggest one was uh, this guy, Diang, uh, from Marseille. He was meant to go to Leeds. So everything was settled. Um, he was heading to the airport to go and get his medical. And while he's at the airport... Nice stepped in and offered a contract and he changed his mind. So he never even got on the plane. <laughs> he, he, he goes to Nice and 
the story's not quite as intense, but when you're kind of following it as the day goes on, it's like so crazy when all of a sudden they're reporting, they're like, it seems like Dang's changed his mind and he's going to join Nice. But then it comes out that he goes to Nice and undertakes the medical and fails the medical. <laughs> so at the end of the day, he's, he's still a Marseille player. Um, like, and Leeds loses out. And in the end, like really, I think Leeds was banking on this player because they'd kind of given up another player and it led to, to a debacle really for them where they didn't end up getting anyone uh, that they were, they were hoping to. I, I wonder, cause I, I followed the story and following like Fabriziano on uh, Twitter, yeah. he, he, you know, he was always, that, guy, that guy's incredible. Like, um, but like, I didn't see what he actually failed the physical for. I don't know if they ever released that info. Uh, but I was like, I wonder if he went to Leeds, if he would have passed Leeds as physical, like, cause you never know, like these teams can have different criteria that they're looking for or what they care about. Well, and to be honest, I never followed up on the final story because there was rumors that the deal could still go through, like Nice could still choose to sign him okay. uh, through an exemption. So I don't know where he ended up because they just... agreed to it before the deadline, but then, okay. Yeah. So yeah, such an interesting story. The other leads story, and this relates uh, a lot to you, even Chris, is Dan yep. Daniel James. Daniel James, um, Andrew, for your sake, just kind of the backstory. Um, Daniel James was kind of one of the most interesting stories from a documentary about leads. And back in January of 2019, he was supposed to move to leads from Swansea. Uh, Swansea's a city or a team in the championship, um, but it it didn't go through. It was kind it of was so close that Dan James was actually at Leeds's facility, like taking the pictures in the jerseys and hanging out with the players. Like I, he was there for like a week. Yeah, like it was like a done deal, and then it just fell through. It falls through. He eventually moves to United, and Chris, that's where it becomes interesting for you. Yep. Then moves back to Leeds, finally getting back to Leeds last summer. And then on deadline day, he gets sold to Fulham. So he's a Fulham player now. It, there's so much about that, that story in particular that's, that is, makes me wonder. Like this, this young player who's supposed to be highly coveted well, and has been highly coveted by massive teams keeps getting shipped around. And I don't know. Do you, do you have any any extra insight have, having been so, a United player? Yeah, I mean, everything I read um, was that Fulham wanted him really bad and Leeds went to him and basically said, we don't want to sell you, but we want you to be happy. So let us know, do you want to stay with us or do you want to go to Fulham? And this is probably like four or five days before the deadline. Okay. And so they were kind of holding up some of their transfer stuff waiting for Dan James to make a decision. And he didn't make the decision until the final day. And I don't know how much of a wrench that threw into Leeds' plans and everything that they had going on, but essentially he finally makes the decisions. Yeah. I want to go to Fulham. So he goes to Fulham. Well, you have Dan James leaving. You have Diang supposedly coming in. There was another guy. I don't remember his name that they were in on, but then there was Huang. They'd come back for Huang a couple times. Wolves kept rejecting the Huang move, which I really wanted them to make. Right. And, we'll, and we'll get to this later, but 
Now I'm thankful they didn't. And again, I'll, we'll talk about that. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. We'll talk. About I did. That. I did like, I think you nailed your tweet though, where they were talking about the $17 million uh, transfer agreement and they didn't learn the potential agreement. And uh, I think wolves didn't want, didn't like the structure of it. Yeah. And, and you had tweeted that they were going to give them a dollar a day for 17 million days or something that's, like that. That's right. <laughs> Solid so, tweet. Yeah. So, um, so there was that story. And then the final story actually was what affected wolves. Craig Dawson, uh, is a West Ham defender. He was set to move to Wolves. He's from the West Midlands, wanted to be closer to home, so was looking at a move to Wolves, potentially maybe Aston Villa. But Wolves were the ones that were in contract with him. He's older, 33, 34. Wolves just wanted him as kind of a mature um, center back uh, defender because we've got really young defenders. Uh, and we, and frankly, we need a, a, a another center back. But the whole move was dependent on Jan Bednarik moving to West Ham from Southampton. So the whole deal was dependent on that because West Ham wanted him as a replacement. But at the last minute, what Villa, who's Wolves like rival, stepped in, signed Bednarik. So then West Ham was unwilling to send Dawson to Wolves. So Wolves end up without a, a needed center back. But um, yeah, lots of lots of crazy deadline drama that went on. So with that, Chris, I'm curious to hear your uh, kind of breakdown of Man U. How did you feel like their summer went? Um, and then give them a give them a grade as a yeah. as a as a school teacher would. Okay, um, I, I liked. I think this is probably the best transfer window that United has had since I've been following them. Uh, so that was, that's always fun and good. Uh, they spent a lot of money. Um, and I think for the first time they actually spent it relatively wisely um, because they've been just chucking money at players over the last 10 years since, you know, Sir Alex has moved on. And it hasn't been the best money spent by any means. I mean, you could look at the the list and it's pretty bad. Like there's a shitload of money that was spent on a lot of players who didn't do a thing. So um, Lissandro Martinez came in early in the, the summer along with Malassia. Those two guys are already starters. They've already overtaken Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw. Um, Malassia wasn't even that expensive. It was like a $14 million transfer and he's, just playing really well. He plays with a ton of heart, which is what this team was missing. And then, um, you know, the free signing of Erickson is probably going to go down as one of the biggest steals. The fact that they didn't have to pay anything to get him and that he actually turned down uh, other offers to go there. Supposedly there were some offers that were worth more money. Um, but I, I guess United was a place. He said, this is the third time in his career that he's almost ended up at United and finally this sealed the deal. But so he's been flirting with United for almost his whole career. Um, and then they make, you know, the big splash earlier in the week, they didn't do anything on deadline day um, because they finally got the deal to go through with Ajax for Anthony. Um, they probably overpaid. And at the end of the day, it's not my money to be saying they overpaid. So what do I care? Um, but I, I, the one thing that United has been missing since I've been watching the last four years 
is a true right wing striker. And they have guys who can play over there. Rashford can play over there. Sancho can play over there. They tried Daniel James over there. It didn't work out very well. Um, but he's the first left-footed, true right-wing striker they've had since I've watched. And, you know, he buried a really pretty goal on Saturday in his first, first match. So 35 minutes into his United career, he already buries a goal. Kid, 21 years old. I think he's almost 22 or he just turned 22 super talented they're, they're already calling him the flashiest player in the premier league like with just his skill set and his quick feet and what he can i do saw him ball. do what <laughs> when he was dragging it across the line and just kept like his little left his leg, leg over where he like rocked his left foot over the ball like 11 times <laughs> yes <laughs> but that's that's, that's i guess shit that would fit right in with wolves wolves do so much <laughs> freaking dancing around dicking around with the ball it looks really pretty but he actually scored so that's the difference yeah and uh you it's fun because i mean my favorite soccer player of all time is uh it's not Lionel messi it's not cristiano ronaldo it's not like these giant names well i guess he has a giant name but it was ronaldinho um back in the day ronaldinho great player for brazil's national team great player for barca um but he was so fun to watch. Like just his YouTube highlights just drew me in. And so I always loved him. He's my favorite, you know, footballer that I've ever seen. And Anthony kind of reminds me of him. And now that that's a huge comparison to Ronaldinho, who's probably considered one of the better players of all time. I mean, he's up there yeah, uh, because he was just a magician with the ball. And so, you know, I look at guys like Harry Kane and Ronaldo and Messi, those guys are surgeons. They're just so precise with everything that they do. Uh, but like Ronaldinho, Anthony, they, they're the magicians. And magicians are just sometimes more fun to watch than the surgeons. So I'm really excited about that. I loved hearing Ajax had no desire to sell him. They tried everything to hold on to him. It basically took a exclusive one-on-one interview that Fabriziano was live tweeting about how much Anthony just wanted to leave and go play for United. That's the only thing he wanted to do. He had, you know, asked out of training sessions, asked out of games, talked to management, said, I don't want to be here. I want to be at United. Um, and, and even after the transfer went through, Ajax's coach is like, this sucks because this is not about soccer or football. This is about money. And it sucks when it becomes about money. Um, because we just lost one of our best players because of it. And I had no desire to lose him. So all of that was super positive stuff, you know, as a United fan to hear. And then for him to show up, bury that that goal to, to get the one to lead uh, was super fun. So that was really long-winded. I apologize. But I'm going to give United – it's hard for me not to give him an A on this. I don't want to go A+. plus. I, I think they could have done more with the transfers out. If they could have got Ronaldo out, I think you could give him a better grade. I think that, I mean, and who knows what will happen, right? We, we finished last season asking the question was Ronaldo was United better because like did Ronaldo, did United finish as high as they did because of Ronaldo or did they finish as low as they did because of Ronaldo, right? Yeah. So, and and also, I guess, I, I mean, I know this is not a transfer, but the hiring of Eric Ten Hag is already looking like maybe the best move out of anything that any premier league team did. He's given them an identity, even after that Brentford smashing, canceling the off day and saying, no, get your ass back here. We're working. That clearly changed the team. Even Bruno Fernandez was mentioning that in his post game, like what happened? And he's like, 
we got called in, we got called out and we knew we needed to start playing. Um, it was also really fun. Well, we'll talk about it later, the Arsenal United match. So I won't get into that, but I'm going to give them an A. It could have been higher if they would have been able to transfer out Ronaldo or even if they could have pulled off the uh, Harry Maguire for Christian Pulisic trade, that would have been just amazing. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but again, you know, Ten Hag, he's not afraid to sit these guys. He's sitting Ronaldo. He's sitting Harry Maguire. He's bringing guys in off the bench when he feels it's right. Um, so great transfer window for them. I, I couldn't be more pleased. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear from Tim right now. He sent us a voice memo to tell us about Liverpool. What's up, guys? Liverpool's transfer window. Here we go. Uh, Nunez up front, Uruguayan striker, expensive. He's got big shoes to fill, replacing Mane, but I think if he can keep a cool head, he's going to be really valuable for us. Um, Fabio Carvalho, young and exciting uh, midfielder, winger. Already a couple goals, including that really dramatic one against Newcastle uh, last week. Uh, Arthur Mello, last-minute guy we brought in just before the deadline. Um, I think I don't know a lot about him yet, but I'm glad we have some reinforcements at midfield, uh, even if it's just on loan. Um, under Klopp, Liverpool have been, I would say, really insistent on getting the right players when they're available. And Liverpool supporters have been frustrated at times when there's really good players on the market that theoretically Liverpool could afford, being a big club, um, but don't always bring them in, splash the cash on the prestige players um, if they don't fit the system. So Jude Bellingham is one of those players that has been rumored to be coming to Liverpool for a while. Um, we'll see if it happens next summer, if he's available then. Um, and yes, you know, I know that it's a luxury big clubs have to afford extra pieces like this. Like a lot of these guys feel like extra pieces. Um, but our midfielders, we've got some aging guys, some injury prone guys. Um, even some of our younger midfielders are pretty banged up right now. And, uh, you know, a team that plays 64 matches in a season as we did last year. Um, if we hope to compete for the champions league spot next season, we need a lot of reinforcements. So again, I know it's a luxury, but it's also a necessity. Oh, yeah. And as for grade, let's go with B+. So Tim talked a little bit about uh, midfield. They, they signed a midfielder at the end of the window, and that leads in perfectly to Wolves' transfer window because one of the midfielders that Klopp really wanted was Matias Nunez. And after he signed with Wolves, he, he made some kind of side comments about how mad he was that they didn't have a particular uh, midfielder. So I think just right off the bat uh, for Wolves, signing a guy like Matias Nunez was, was a coup in some ways and um, really an excellent signing for us. We started the window signing Nathan Collins from Burnley. Uh, again, I think the greatest compliment a signing can get is when the fan base that he comes from is really mad. And Burnley fans were like really disappointed and really upset that, that Nathan Collins left. And, and I think the fact that Wolves are leading the league uh, in defense, they've allowed the fewest goals, four goals in six matches, um, shows just how good of a signing he is because they've moved to a back four as well. So he's partnered up with Max Kilman. Um, great signing there. They also signed Gonzalo Guedes up front. Um, they signed a striker, Sasha Kalajic, uh, 
he's Austrian. Um, and then right at the end of the window, they signed Babacar Traore. That's right. Wolves have two Traores now. This is a 21 year old midfielder. I'm really excited to see how he does. Uh, there's a lot of uh, excitement around him being a young midfielder to help shore that up. So um, the, the sad news <laughs> is that Wolves striker, the six, seven Sasha Kalajic that we signed uh, tore his ACL in the first 45 minutes. Um, so a position that Wolves desperately needed uh, with Raul being, being injury prone and not back to his self. Um, then Sasha goes down in the first half with this torn ACL, really devastating for Wolves. But, and this is not our official knowing is half the battle, but, but did you know you can still sign players if they are free agents? So though transfers from team to team are done, uh, teams can still add players and Wolves are rumored. And actually he's probably arriving there right now because it is what, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. in Wolverhampton. A guy by the name of Diego Costa. He really means nothing to us who haven't followed or who have just started following the last four or five years. Um, but Diego Costa is one of the greatest goal scorers uh, in maybe not in Premier League history. That's pretty strong. But his, I think he played three or four years for Chelsea and scored. 50 something goals for them in those three years um, was remarkable Atletico Madrid. He's 33 years old. He hasn't played since December and he is the shithouse of shithousery. Like he is a punk ass. So I don't, I hate that when it's against your team, but supposedly wolves are going to bring him in and sign him. Who knows if he's fit? No one knows. I mean, wolves fans like cannot believe that, he is probably going to be wearing a shirt, a wolf shirt, maybe by the weekend. Uh, but anyways, it's, it's kind of remarkable, kind of interesting, but that's all because Sasha went down with that ACL torn ACL over the weekend. So, um, overall, uh, I, I'd probably give wolves an a minus, uh, they shored up the, the, the spine of the team. They spent the 10th most amount of money in Europe. So not just Premier League, like across all of Europe, they spent a lot of money. They've fully gone in on supporting uh, Bruno Lodge and we'll see if that works, but I appreciate it. Like at least they're spending the money, they're going for it. They got rid of a ton of people. There's only one player left, Ruben Neves, from uh, their championship winning side. And so this is a full flip of, of the of the roster and it's been created in the shape of Bruno Lodge's system. And now we'll see if it's good or not. So it could end up being a C or a D uh, <laughs> transfer window, but as far as like potential and what they needed to do uh, it's an A minus for me. Very nice. I didn't even mention Casemiro, who was also another huge oh, signing for United. He's played like 20 minutes in two games. So it's like, I totally forgot about him, but. No, that is, that's a great signing. Well, let's move to the weekend. I, we will focus on Arsenal man, Manchester United a little bit, but I did want to talk. There was a ton of controversy this week, particularly around VAR, particularly, particularly around um, some of the timekeeping, um, 
I mean, it's maybe not fair for me to pick on Liverpool without Tim, but um, their Liverpool scored uh, after, in the midweek to, to win, to salvage three points uh, with after Newcastle had played them really well. Uh, they had added six extra minutes at the end of the match and uh, Liverpool scores in the 99th minute. So clearly more time was given. Um, when I had talked with Tim immediately after the match, he was like, yeah, but Newcastle was wasting ton of time in the extra time. But then I saw later that someone had counted how much time Newcastle had wasted in extra time. And it was like an extra 90 seconds. So the whistle should have blown at like the 97th and a half minute. And so the fact that it went all the way to the 98th and a half, uh, seemed very generous to Liverpool. So the refs being uh, vindictive, do you think they're like, you're going to wait, you're going to keep pissing us off maybe potentially. Yeah. Or was the fix just in? Sorry, Tim. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, as a supporter of a small club, we all, we, we definitely, and, and we were tweeting about this during the weekend and uh, that it feels like certain clubs get better calls than other. And that's why in the lead in, I said, uh, the cream always right is to the top with a little help. Um, but you know, not all these things I want to bring up affect the big, the big six clubs, but, um, there is, there's definitely that conspiracy theory that lives out there. Right. And as small teams, there's the small man syndrome <laughs> where you are looking at you and you feel like you're, you're, unjustly treated at times so whether that's true or not that definitely is an ongoing uh debate among premier league supporters a couple of the other controversies over the weekend uh on coutinho's goal for for aston villa versus city uh the the linesman threw his flag up uh the linesmen are supposed to wait to see kind of the results of a play before putting their flag up for offsides. Um, I don't remember who, oh, it was actually Coutinho. Coutinho wasn't offsides. The ball kind of bounces back around. He pulls back around to like kind of by the 18 yard box, shoots as the lineman kind of raises his flag. Ederson doesn't even go for the ball. Ball's be beautifully struck. I don't think Ederson could have got it anyways. And because the uh, linesman had raised his flag, there was no chance for it to be a goal or for it to go to, to VAR. So that was a controversy. Uh, and then I think maybe the biggest one was the foul on Mendy and the disallowed goal for West Ham, which would have been an equalizer, Maxwell Cornet's equalizer. Um, again, these are pundits talking. This isn't necessarily mean me, but, but the NBC sports people were incensed, like that it wasn't a foul. It shouldn't have been called a foul. And, uh, and so that was, that was just one of the other controversies over the weekend. Um, Chris, any, no. any thoughts, any thoughts yeah, on was, controversies? Yeah. Um, it's nothing out of the ordinary. <laughs> I feel like, right. right. Like this is our, we'll call this episode one of three this season where we're going to just be like, throwing our hands up at VAR like we do every year. Yep. Um, I think, you know, our first couple of years, it was kind of like 
uh, okay, so I guess this is how the system just kind of works and we'll figure it out. And no one's figured it out. And uh, for me, like, I think I've talked about in the past, like, I just want the right call made. Totally. You know, and, and like, so part of, you know, the controversy this week, especially being a United fan and, and the Arsenal game, there was a lot of talk of the, you know, Odegaard foul on Erickson that led to yep. a goal for Arsenal. In my opinion, it was clearly a foul, but, you know, Tierney is standing right there staring at it. He doesn't call it. They totally. let it go on. VAR reviews it, says, hey, it's probably a foul. Come take another look at it. He comes, takes another look at the play that he was already looking at live, decides no goal. Um, I, I'm okay with it because I want the right call to be made. Now's the right call. But, like, we're now in an era where um, the officials, the referees are letting plays go. Uh, and they're letting more physicality happen. And I think that there's like a delicate balance on plays like that, where if the, if, if that doesn't lead to a breakaway goal for Arsenal, I don't think that, I don't think the whistle ever gets blown. It ever gets looked at or anything along those lines Absolutely, because they're, because they're letting them go now. Right. So if that's just a turnover that Arsenal takes control of the ball, kind of brings it into United's territory, sets up shop, whatever, um, but the fact that it led to an immediate breakaway, I think they did have to at least look at it. And I do think they got the call right. Um, problem to me with that, and I agree, I think it was a foul. My problem is, is if, if you're only going to reverse it on goals, then what's the point of letting them play on? Just to let yeah. the game move faster, I guess? Like, I think so. But, but it's frustrating because that happened to Pedro Neto earlier. I, I don't, I actually can't remember what game it was. They, they're coming so fast now, but I feel it might, might've been the midweek game with Bournemouth foul in the run-up of play goal is scored goal overturned, but then in the Leicester match, and it didn't end up affecting Brighton's victory, but in the first minute, Tielman's just rocks Solly Marsh, knocks him off the ball. Ball goes over to, I think, uh, Iannaccio, and he slots it away and they score, and it's not overturned. And that's what's frustrating is, like, there's the the lack of consistency on the calls. Yeah. Like, that is I, the exact same – that's the exact same foul that was on Erickson that Pedro Neto did. Like, there's there's no distinction between those yeah. fouls in, in those instances. and But there's – there's no consistency. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest point of frustration for everybody. Um, I also, I hate because I want the calls to be right. I'm okay with the reviews and like get the call, right. Yeah. Um, what I hate and what I don't like, what my biggest frustration is when they bring in subjectivity to it. And it's like, well, what's your interpretation of this player's action? Um, and I think we saw that in the Brighton game on Sunday morning, where they had probably the goal of the week disallowed oh, totally um, because of a completely subjective, how do you feel this player was playing the ball call that wasn't called on the field. It was a review that was reviewed and they decided based upon their own subjectivity that they weren't going to allow it. And, yep. you know, those are the ones that kill me where it's like, okay, offsides, we can line it up. We can put those stupid lines out there. And we can see, oh, he was offside. Usually nine times out of 10, those are correct. Um, and you go, okay, yeah, he was offside. It may have been a couple inches, may have been a foot, whatever. They're offsides. There's no subject, 
there's usually no subjectivity in those things. But like this one where a guy was offside, but he doesn't play the ball, but he kind of made a, an attempt at the ball, but he totally whiffed it and went to his teammate. I, it, I, I just, I, those are the ones that I struggled to get behind. Yeah. And that one's hard too. Like, is he interfering with the play was the question. Right. And it's, yeah. it's subjective. Like it's, a, it's completely subjective because he was offsides. Right. But was he interfering with the play? So. Right. And those are the ones where I go, well, you didn't call it on the field. Why, yeah. why, why is it being overturned now? Yeah. Because a goal was scored. Right. And right. I think that's, that's, that's the rule. So, well, before we jump to Arsenal, Manchester United, which kind of finish up the first half of the pod, but um, since we're talking about offsides, Andrew wanted to know what the hell is offsides. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't no one like knows. That. No, no, no. Screw you. I'm not that big of a neophyte. I have a more than general knowledge of what offsides is. I didn't mean it that way. There's enough people out there. Why is Andrew so stupid? No. <laughs> okay. I had a question specifically because yes. there were two goals in the Tottenham in the Tottenham game on Saturday. Uh, the first one, <clears throat> Harry Kane scored a beautiful goal and they reviewed it for offsides and they drew the line on the screen. And Harry Kane is clearly a little bit further ahead, but he's not a full body length. Like the guy, it's like he's got his left leg is still even or behind the guy, but the rest of his body is, you know, ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> they allowed it. About 10 minutes later, Rich Arlison scores another great goal. And I know you hate him, but I only hate his hair. Um <clears throat> He is less offside than Harry Kane, but there's also another Tottenham defender who also has a foot forward, and that one was disallowed. So that's my question. Does it have to be a full body length? Explain that portion. It does not have to be a full body length. It only has, I mean, and this is this is what you're where your hair fans really bitch and moan. It can literally be an armpit hair offsides, and you're offsides. So What's confusing about the Harry Kane goal, because I had to watch it a couple of times too, because I was like, what are they measuring? They're measuring it to the ball because the ball was in front of Harry Kane. So the ball is all that matters. If the ball's in front of you, you can have zero defenders around you. Then so, why were they drawing those lines? I am not, they might've been checking to the player, but when I, when I watched that replay, they were drawing. The, the question was where the ball was and the God. ball, because I can't remember who was, was it actually Richarlison passing it across? Whoever was passing it, um, the ball was, was it was, if it was coming from the right side. So it would have been like Sensen Young. Yeah. So um, either way. Yeah. It's, it's the ball. Um, the other, the other fact, and you're not asking this question, but it could happen this season and it will like blow your mind if it happens. <laughs> and like, it's so confusing to me. I know where this is going because it blew my mind. There have to be, it's not one player between the ball and the goal. It's two players, but the goalkeeper is all is almost always there. So there was a match last year. I don't even remember what match it was where the keeper was further out from his line. And there was only one defender between the ball and, or between the player and the goal. And so he was ruled off sides. And I was like, how in the hell that guy's clearly there. And it's because the rule is two players, but the keeper's always there. So you never count him. Gotcha. And I, 
I swear I heard a story once about a team that tried to um, just uh, like cherry pick goals sort of by sending like all 10 except the goalkeeper ahead of a certain point so that the other team was consistently being called off sides. But then whenever they took control of the ball, they uh, they were able to score because they had the numbers. I, I, I'll have to look it up, but it was somebody who was trying out a strategy in a not a professional league, but a um, kicking and screaming or another like movie. <laughs> <Is that laughs> a movie? I don't know. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Thank you. The more, you know, I guess. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. The, the other, the other thing and Chris, I think I remember this as being true. There, there is no offsides on a throw-in. Yes. Is that right. There's no offsides on a throw-in. Yes. So that's also that also can be confusing. So and there's no up. offsides on your defensive side of the pitch as long as the pass is behind it and it's received behind it. Yeah, so so if all if all players are on the defensive side and you have a breakaway and you have a player who's in front of the rest of the other 10 he can be offsides when you kick the ball until the half, like the midpoint line. Is that clear? It doesn't, it didn't feel like I explained it super clearly, but. So just by the way, on the throw in for um, other neophytes, soccer neophytes who are still learning the game, but also want to try to relate it to other sports. It's kind of like in the NBA, when you you're allowed to throw a ball over the, the rim so it's not goaltending if you grab it like DeAndre Ayton in the Valley Oop in the 2021 NBA playoffs. Great series. Um, yeah, similar concept, yeah? Sure. I guess. <laughs> I was feeling good about that one in my head. I just don't care about NBA, so. You don't? No, sorry. He's a Blazers fan. Why would he care? I know. <laughs> That's fair. I haven't cared since I named my kid Drexler. Um, yeah and i'm one i'm looking at the harry kane var review right now and and yeah it's because so they measure it from the armpit and that's a newer rule because there was a play a couple years ago where one of the players was pointing into the box like hey kick it here and his they ruled that his hand made him offside because his hand was extended out beyond the defender and they've changed that rule yeah so they changed that rule within the last couple years so now they measure it to the armpit is usually where the if the armpit is in front of the foot or if the foot is in front of the armpit whichever one of those two is usually it has to be a play a playable a playable body part so because your hand is not playable your hand can be off sides but your chest your nuts your your shoulder your Okay, this is wild. I'm gonna I wish, I, I wish that's, our that's why we, we weren't really Andrews joking or making fun of you at all because no, the offsides rule is insane. It is. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't making fun of you. Yeah, and then the two-player rule, it only comes into play if the player that's offside is in front of the ball, because like you'll notice on the Harry Kane goal, there's only the goalie in between the goal and the player. But because that's where the ball is being played from, they're onside based on where the ball is. So if it's like a, a cross into the box, that's when the two-player offside comes into to play. 
But when the ball's out in front, it doesn't have to be two players. It doesn't even have to be a player. As long as you're behind the ball, you're okay. Yep. Got it. When the, when the ball's kicked, and I, you've probably already picked this up. So it all matters on when the ball is kicked. It's not when the ball passes you, but when the ball kick is kicked, if you're onside, you're good to go. If you're faster than defender and you get out in front of him before the ball gets there, you're onside. Yeah, no, I, I got that part. That that yeah. makes perfect sense. Otherwise, it would be unfair to slow fat defenders, right? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it would be more fair to them because they sorry, could just more slow fair. down. That's what I, you, you get the concept. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's talk, Chris. You wanted to talk Arsenal Man U. I only got to see the first half. We we bantered quite a bit during that first <laughs> half. Um because I just, it's true. I hate Manchester United, so I don't judge them fairly, but impressive win either way. It was impressive win. And I think, and I think kind of like to go back to the lead in who you play matters and Arsenal hasn't played great teams yet. They've had some good victories and winning is winning. Um, but, but this Manchester United team is not the same team that they were at the beginning of the se- uh, season. So great, great win for Manchester yeah. United. It was, it was, it was a great match to be honest with you. Um, a lot of stuff going on in that first half United gets the Anthony goal to go up one nil. Um, it was one of the more physical matches I've ever seen. And, and that was fun. And I, you know, I'm on the record last week saying, Hey, I'm not saying Arsenal isn't good. I'm saying they haven't played anybody. We'll find out this weekend when they, when they play United at United, what they're made of. I was super impressed with Arsenal. I do think they're a good quality club. Um, they're incredibly fast. They attack constantly. They pressure United, you know, the whole game. I think they probably ended up on the statistics side of, of leading most possessions and things along those lines, passes and whatnot. Um, they just, United's back line really held up really well. The goal that, that Arsenal did score to make it one, one it, you know, early second half, I was going, ah, crap, here we go. You know? And uh, it was a ball that, you know, kind of ricocheted off a defender who was going down and went right over to um, Saka and he buried it. Um, And I, I, typical United fan based on what I've seen over the last 12 months went, well, we're about to lose. And I don't know if you know this, Nate. Um, United hasn't lost in the Premier League since the Premier League started when leading at home at Old Trafford at halftime. So it's like 200 and something matches where they've never lost. That's they haven't always won. It's like 170 something victories, 20 something draws, but they've never lost. That's amazing. Pretty wild. So I was like, oh, no, don't let this be the day that the streak ends against, you know, Arsenal of all people, a couple of top six clubs. But um, United just they're just different from that Brentford game. That was such a massive turning point for that team. The lineup changes have made all the difference in the world. The defense, Lissandro Martinez just has an attitude about him. Like he's the smallest guy in the pitch usually uh, until they play Wolves and Potences out there. Um but he's the fiercest guy. Like they've already nicknamed him the butcher of Manchester is his, is his club nickname. Like um, but he brings an attitude with him and him and Varane in the back have been so good these last four games. And it's, it's kind of leaked out to the whole team. Um, United gets a couple goals, a beautiful assist by Bruno to get Rashford yeah. his, his first. Um, and then Erickson on a breakaway dishes it off to Rashi for the sealer. Um, 
it was as a United fan, it was everything you could have wanted. Like they faced adversity, they lost the lead and then they got it back and won the game held strong against a very good team. So it was super fun to watch. It was super physical both ways. Um, I think, did you see the tackle that, and I mean, literal NFL tackle that Scott McTominay did to Gabriel Jesus. I don't think so. Was it in the second okay. half? Yeah, it was in the second half. Yeah, I didn't see the second he, half. He got a yellow card for it. I'm not an official. How that wasn't a red, I don't, I don't fully understand. I mean, it didn't stop a goal scoring opportunity. It was right at like midfield, but he yeah. comes in on, on Gabriel and just wraps him up. They kind of tussle. And McTominay just straight on tackles and it slams into the ground. He totally deserved a card. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, oh, he's getting sent off for sure. Then it was just a yellow card. I was like, wow, he just got so lucky. Uh, I'll find it because it's been all over Twitter. I'll send it to you guys. I think the only version I've seen was the cartoon version you sent me where it, <laughs> yes. I think it like showed his legs flying off or something. Yeah, those the, the that cartoon thing was pretty funny. I don't know how I stumbled upon it today, but yeah. it it cracked me up. But yeah, I mean, it was a super physical tackle. Um, there was a lot of a lot of physicality in the box, especially in United's end defensive end, where uh, Saka was going at it with Martinez. Even Gabriel was going at it. There's video floating around where uh, Martinez boxes out Gabriel, and he just kicks him in the back of his leg as he's like walking away from him. I mean, it was oh. nasty. It was like just everything you kind of wanted out. I was glad United got the win. It was a really good match to watch. Um, super glad my team won that one. Uh, very impressive win for them. Yeah. United's on a roll. And, um, you know, I sent a, I sent the, a picture of the top seven to you guys earlier. And though the order may be a bit surprising and Brighton being there at fourth is surprising the top six are in the top seven and that's kind of what we expect. So even though the season has been odd, even though city has a couple draws, Liverpool hasn't has a, you know, a couple losses and a draw, I think, or a loss and a couple draws, the big six are the big six and you still got to perform to, to overtake them. There was only one red card. I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was our very own. And this can bleed. This can be both red card and American watch because it was Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh got a red card in like the 60th minute, got sent off for dissent, for arguing. I don't know what he said. Who knows? But uh, it seemed it seemed harsh. He was pretty surprised <laughs> to get like a straight red. But uh, Jesse Marsh with the red card. There was so much. I mean, we have so many Americans playing right now uh, in the Premier League. I'm not going to talk about all of them. Couple things just to note: Pulisic got a start. Really was hoping he would score or assist to help his case at Chelsea. He didn't. Um, but uh, and I'm thankful Andrew reminded me before the the episode started. But uh, Aronson. The, the, the Leeds fans have begun singing American boy for Aronson. And so I think that's, that's, that's quite a compliment for him and, and pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, and he's, he's been, he's been great this season for top goals. Uh, there were two that stood out to me. 
for the weekend. I thought Tony's free kick uh, in the Brentford match was, was amazing. And then uh, billing for Bournemouth with a shot from way outside. I mean, I don't know if 30, 25 yards, 30 yards, he's way outside of the, the 18 yard box and just put it away. Any goals stand out for you guys? Nothing specific is hitting me. Um, I mean, I, I didn't watch those matches that you just talked about, uh, and there weren't any really, I don't know, breathtaking goals that I saw in the matches I did watch, other than, you know, just talking about Erling Haaland again and how amazing he was in all, just how effortless he makes it look. So, I mean, I'll just combine all three of his goals into one and say those were my most impressive of the week. Yeah, I think you guys nailed them. Uh, I also mentioned earlier McAllister for Brighton oh. had the disallowed goal. That was probably the goal of the week. Uh, that thing was just awesome. Yeah, so good. Chris, why don't you bring us into best bet? Give us an update. All right. So best bet, maybe you guys should really take us up on not or betting against us, going the opposite of what we're <laughs> doing. Um, we had another rough weekend. A few wins, a couple wins. Uh, so let's start. We'll start with Tim uh, just because he's just on the Liverpool train the whole way through. Um, so Tim continues to bet on Liverpool, uh, which they they won against Newcastle. So that was good. Uh, but they drew with Everton. And so he lost that bet. So uh, between those two, he won $29 on the win against Newcastle, he lost a hundred dollars. So it's another rough week for Tim. He's down negative $360 at this point. Um, but he's not in last. So, uh, looking at this week, Tim continues to ride the Liverpool train. Uh, they are a minus 400 favorite against Wolverhampton. Sorry, Nate. That's um, all right. So if Liverpool wins, Tim is going to pocket $25. And that'll bring us to Kyle, who had the best week. Um, he he had the best week because he bet on the uh, Bournemouth Wolverhampton draw at plus two thirty, so he won two hundred thirty bucks on that one. His second bet for the weekend game, he lost. He had leads over Brentford, uh, that didn't quite go his way. So at the end of the week, he did pocket a plus one thirty, um, but that brings him to being negative two hundred seventy dollars on the season. Um, so that's where we're at with Tim and Kyle. Uh, Andrew, you had a, a decent but not great week. You had Arsenal minus 220, which won you $45 in their midweek game. Uh, but you had City winning the weekend game, which I think we're all probably surprised that they didn't. They should have won. Win. They should have. <laughs> you are 100% correct. But they didn't win. They drew. And that means you lost $100 there. So you lost another $55 this week. Uh, but you're you're only in the negative one thirty three oh five. Who are you taking this week? I I'm taking Brighton over Bournemouth. Um, I, I mean Bournemouth sucks, <laughs> despite the fact that they won this week after firing Scott Parker. But Brighton is currently fourth, and I have to think that they can't both be flukes, right? So I'm leading towards the higher fluke. Or, you know, the better opportunity for whatever. I don't yeah. know if I believe in Brighton, but I absolutely don't believe in Bournemouth. 
Yeah, and Brighton's a minus one twenty five favorite in that game, so it's actually pretty good odds uh, against a, you know a top team against a bottom team there. So a hundred dollar bet wins eighty on what kind of feels like a, a slam dunk good bet. So, um, all right. Well, that'll bring us to Nate, who had Wolverhampton winning against Bournemouth. That didn't happen. He had Nottingham Forest also winning the weekend game. That didn't happen. So Nate drops two hundred bucks, uh, bringing his season total to negative four hundred sixty-eight dollars. Instead, what place is that? What place is that? Uh, that is dead last. I know it is dead. Yeah, it is dead last. Which is is funny because I'm right on your heels, and I'll get to my tally. Two, the two of us are the two biggest sports betters on this podcast, true. and we are bringing up the rear by quite a hefty amount right now. Uh, but Nate, what are you doing this week? I'm also taking Brighton, even though I bet against Bournemouth twice last week, and they burned me both times. Certainly, they can't draw or get a win against Brighton, can they? Plus the odds were too good not to go with it. So I like the minus 125. Yeah, that's probably a really good bet, to be honest with you. I thought about it, but I was looking at where I'm at in the negative. And I was like, I want to I'm, I'm, I want to try and get a lot of that back if I can. So uh, my weekend looked like betting on Tottenham to win. They didn't. Um, I also bet on Nottingham Forest like you, Nate. They didn't. And so I dropped another 200 bucks. So I'm negative 431, just $37 behind you or ahead of you in this case. Um, but this week I am taking Nottingham Forest. I, I don't know why I keep going to them. Um, it's because Leeds has looked terrible for, for a few matches in a row after the hot yep. start. Um, so I'm going to take Forest getting plus 320 on the road at Leeds. I feel like that line is just way too high, way too high to ignore. Um, so I'm going to hit that. So throwing hundred bucks on that to win 320, which would bring me very close to even in that case. So let's go Nottingham Forest. Don't let me down. Love it. Well, I think there's pretty clearly one match over the weekend to keep your eye on. But before we get to that, Andrew, this week we have champions league matches. Now, we're not going to go into all that. We already did our knowing is half the battle. We need to wrap the episode up. We'll get there, though. But midweek, we have all the European competition. So Chelsea faces Zagreb. Manchester City faces Sevilla. Liverpool, Napoli. And Tottenham play Marseille. Um, And then Arsenal and United, right, will be playing in Europa on Thursday, I think. And then I think West Ham plays also on Thursday. So. So the Champions League takes place in 22-23, but it's based on the results from 21-22. That is correct. Thank you for clarifying. And maybe next week that'll be our knowing is half the battle. But for now, what you need to know is that uh, there's lots of Premier League teams playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Champions League. Europa and the conference league happening on Thursday. And then Andrew, which team are you focusing on over the weekend? You know what? Uh, since they finally, 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 finally got their first win of the season. Um, I decided that maybe we could learn a little bit about the, about wolves since, um, you know, we don't talk about them that often on this, uh, on this podcast. <laughs> 
Well, there really hasn't been a lot to talk about. I do try and talk about them if I can, but Wolves, um, let me give you a little bit to know about Wolves. Their full name, they are Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, they're one of the 12 founding members of the English Football League. So a very rich history founded in 1877. Uh, they're Chinese owned uh, by kind of international conglomerate named uh, Fosun. Uh, they've invested a lot of money this year. And so we'll see how that goes. They played a ground called Molyneux. Uh, in Wolverhampton, 32,500 people seated there. Uh, pretty cool looking traditional ground. Um, it's an older ground, so not, not one of the, the more up-to-date kind of renovated ones. Their manager is Bruno Lodge. This is his second season. Uh, he's Portuguese. Uh, this is a huge transition year for him. I already kind of mentioned this in the transfer uh, uh, update, but uh, they've remade the team in his image. And so uh, this is his opportunity to show what he can do. So I really think he's on the hot seat. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Wolves don't perform well this year. Um, it wouldn't be surprising if he doesn't finish the season as their manager. Uh, they got the, the players they've signed are all pretty young and, have been signed like four to five year contracts. And so I think the other thing that's, it's good for him that they've signed the players he's wanted, but uh, it's also, I think a really attractive team. If a manager wanted to come in, this is a, an exciting team that you could kind of sink your teeth into. So I do think Lodge is on the hot seat. If they would have lost or drawn against Southampton, I don't know if he would have survived because they have Liverpool and city and they would just sort of have too few points going into the international break. Players to watch. Ruben Neves is hands down our best player. He's a midfielder. He's remarkable. You'll see him make some amazing passes um, during the weekend. Uh, I mentioned Kilman and Collins earlier. Uh, there are our center back pairing. Uh, great defenders, both tall, tall boys. Um, our newcomers are Nunez and Guedes. Uh, they'll Nunez is also a midfielder. Guedes, depending on how things shake out, he may be playing up in kind of a front three. And then you may see Diego Costa this weekend, <laughs> the guy we were talking about earlier. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous and insane, but, um, and then last but not least, our keeper is Jose saw. He is really fun to watch. He is what's considered a sweeper keeper. He comes off his line a lot. He'll go and punch balls. He'll grab balls out of the air. It gets us in trouble sometimes. I think he had multiple cards last year from sliding into a, a offensive player, giving up a penalty. He's, he's so aggressive. I really don't know if there's a more aggressive keeper in the league, um, but it gets him in trouble at times. Um, and then a couple other things to note, Wolves have a ton of Portuguese players. Everyone makes fun of Wolves. They call them Portugal FC. Um, I think we've started seven, seven Portuguese players this season. I think against Bournemouth, seven of our 11 players were Portuguese. Um, and then I think this is just cool. Uh, the town phrase of Wolverhampton is out of darkness cometh light. And that is why they have that gold and black kit 
the idea of like out of darkness cometh light. It's a, it's an industrial city just outside of Birmingham. So uh, if you've seen Peaky Blinders, that's the type of people that we're talking about. So I think industrial city, potentially like mid to lower income. So I, I just think the phrase is awesome. And that's why they have the kit colors. And as we've already noted previously, an amazing badge. The wolf is, is really cool. So that's all to know. And to know that they'll probably lose to Liverpool. So, oh, well. I actually, I'm not going to just say they're going to lose, Nate, but they're like a plus $1,100 underdog on a win. I, I was really close to rolling that way. I saw for that. best bet. It's not like Liverpool's lighting the world on fire right now. Yeah. Um, and Wolves have a great defense. So, I, I mean, the draw the is kind of appealing. The problem, the since I've been following Wolves, I think we've beat every team of the big six clubs except Liverpool. I know we've beat United a couple times. We beat City a couple times. Uh, Chelsea, Spurs, but I don't think we beat Liverpool for whatever reason. We play them really well and then concede late or whatever. I don't have, and, and it's at Anfield, so that'll be tough. But hopefully, hopefully there's a good showing. So for sure. For you, as always. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, for your sake, I hope it's a good showing. Yeah, me too. Hey, so I have uh, one note about the Wolves that I'd like to bring up, and it'll also be my final notes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, the girlfriend uh, is seeing Ted Lasso for the first time, and so I've, I've seen it. Um, but this is the first time I'm watching it since I've followed the Premier League. Oh, yeah. And, um, one thing I noticed that uh, the team that Ted Lasso gets his first win against um, they never say the name of the team, but it's quite obvious by the kits. I think it's Wolves. It's the black and it's the gold and black. There's no other team that looks like that, right? Yeah. And Except the funny lead, thing about leads, it, though, is that the way kits this year are like black and gold, which is very confusing for me. But you're right. Yes. Traditionally, no other team. But the thing is, that was filmed in probably 2019. Were Wolves even up at that point yet? They were, yep. Oh, okay. I thought they just got up like like last year, or the year before. No, they came up in uh, the 2018-19 season was their first season. So this which, is their fifth season. Which makes it an even uh, bigger slap in the face that their first win was against, uh, oh, the newly promoted piece of crap Wolves. That's all right. We finished seventh that year and played in Europe the following year. So, But yeah, was, that's funny. Yeah. Chris, last comments. Oh, I know. I need to say the match of the week. So we talked about, oh. we didn't even mention City and Spurs play over the weekend. Um, that will be good. That'll be a great match. We have yeah. to watch it. Well, I, like I said, I signed up for a, um, a, a local Arizona uh, club fan of uh, the Spurs. So we're going to watch it at the local Spurs bar. It's only five miles from my house. It's almost like it's fate. Mm, it could uh, be fate. Yeah. Is there a city bar around here? Yeah, I know there, there is. The Man City Bar is actually in the building that I work at. Kettle, Black, Kettle Black. It's on uh, First and Washington. So Georgian Dragon is united. 
Yep. And then uh, what was the one for Chelsea that? Uh... I don't know Chelsea's. I know that Arsenal. I'm sorry, the like... Liverpool one. Oh, um, Crown Public House on Jefferson gotcha. down by the stadium, the baseball stadium. Yeah. And then Arsenal's is Yucca Tap Room there in. Uh, no kidding. Tempe. Yeah. That is such a dive bar. Yeah, that's Arsenal's, I think. I love that bar. It's super stabby, but um, I love that bar. Wolves Pub is my living room. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's, that's yeah. the Wolves, the wolves uh, Pub. But it's only your living room because the bar that it was is out of business. That's true. There was a, there was a pub for a hot minute. There's a couple of guys from Wolverhampton who live out in Gilbert. And he, I think the pandemic crushed his pub, unfortunately. Oh. That's too bad. Hey, one of these days, should I tell the story about the last time I got punched in the face in Jordan Dragon during the World Cup in 2018? Yeah. Let's save it for another one. This is what they call a teaser in the biz. Ooh, I love it. Well, if you're interested in staying up to date on our podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Soccer Neophytes. We have a website, SoccerNeophytes.com. And of course, you can find us on all of your podcasts services apple spotify and whatever other ones there are that exist gentlemen well done good night lasers out lasers out fellas good night